Today, when we get to Genesis 24, this is real history. This really happened. But we're going to see pictures today that represent and show us grand and glorious and wonderful spiritual truths that go along with the story. In other words, it's like the Lord knew about the CLE before the master memorizer knew about the CLE. And he lodged these pictures in our heads so that we would remember. So let's turn there, uh, Genesis chapter 24. Now before I begin, I have to make a correction. Last week, I said that the first tears in the Bible was when Abraham was crying over Sarah. That's actually not true. What I should have said was he was the first man to cry in the Bible, the first lady to cry in the Bible, as Steve Potter uh, pointed out to me, and I'm thankful that he did, was Hagar in the wilderness. But anyway, it still holds true of what we said about uh, um, Abraham's tears over his wife. So Gabe and all of our wonderful staff up there, please... Correct the tape, all right? (laughs) So cool, all right. So, But anyway, today we're going to learn a great story that really happened. It was history, his story. These things happened, and these this is the bridge and the link from a patriarch named Abram to his son, the son of the promise, Isaac. So we're moving from Abraham to Isaac, and that's this story. That's, in one sense, what this story accomplishes. But this piece of Scripture has so many layers to it, you could study it your whole life and keep seeing new things. So in the next four hours, we'll try to get a few of those in. I'm kidding. Just two hours. But anyway... uh, Let's go to Genesis chapter 24. (laughs) This is funny to me. Now, Abraham was old. That's how I feel right now. Now, Abraham was old, and that's right. He was old. He's coming to the end of his life. And I want to remind you and have you, if you want, turn to Genesis chapter 12, all those years ago, when the story of Abram, not Abraham, turned to Abraham, when the story of Abram started, when the story of Abram started, God said in chapters one, or excuse me, chapter 12, one through three, to leave your country, get out from your family, from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. And then look at this. I will bless you. And make your name great, and you're going to be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we've seen over and over again, God reiterate that promise to this patriarch, this man named Abram. Haven't we? We've seen it. He continues to tell him and um, make him feel secure and safe by reiterating and retelling him the promise. And then you get here now to the end of Abraham's life. And you could just read this and go on in your one-year Bible or whatever we do. And we could just go on and not miss and marvel at the wonders of God's sovereignty and providence. Because quite frankly, if you've been intellectually honest and you've been following along with Abram, You've recognized that Abram is a mess sometimes, like we're a mess. His faith, God's building his faith, and it, one day he, you're like, whoa, this guy is amazing. And the next day he's lying about his wife. And you're going, is this really the, the guy I think of in, Ab- you know, uh, in Genesis? I mean, come on. And he's done some pretty strange things and maybe even unfaithful things but then God hangs in there with him and hangs in there with him and he's given a great promise 
that your name's going to be blessed. And here he gets to his old age, well advanced, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And you say, well, that's Abraham. But, you know, for you and I, the Lord says, you and I, when we come into Christ, we come to Christ, and the Bible tells us that Christ is in us, and we are in him. The Bible tells us that we have a few spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. It doesn't say that. It actually says we have every spirit, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's true of us. Why? Because it's true of Christ. Amazing. I get to this first verse, and I'm nobody special, but I wonder if we really, you know, sometimes we just sort of come, and and I'm not criticizing, I'm the pastor, I do it too. We just sort of come, and it's ho-hum, and, and I just wonder, have we continued to see and look for and stand in awe of the glories of Christ? His kindness and his patience and his love and his forbearance and his mercy and his sovereignty and his providence and his all-knowing and his all-power. Because I know in my life, I can't speak of your life, I've felt like Abraham a lot, mostly not the peaks, but the downward times where I've did something or said something or acted in some way where I thought to myself, my goodness, what is going on here? And he's been kind with me and he tells me, and I believe, listen, I believe because the Bible says it. I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing despite those things that I've done. And I've been given, and the reason is because, as we said, I'm in Christ because of Christ. I've been so blessed. We've been, we uh, stand in his grace, you know, the Bible says. We stand in the grace of God. We stand in it. That's our environment. That's where our foundation is. That's here. It's all around us. We stand there. And on and on we go, and we could continue to talk about all of the blessings that God has bestowed upon us through His Son, Jesus Christ, by His Spirit. We never tire of that. We could never tire of that. That's why you're to get into the Bible. It's not so you can satisfy some form back there, or it's not so because the pastor keeps saying, I ought to read the Word of God. It's because we discover the glories of Christ there. And he's real and wonderful and precious. And dare I say, and I want you to remember this as we go forward in this chapter, put it in the back of your mind, and we've never seen him yet. You get that? Now that's important for this story. Because Abraham, as you know, and probably do know, is a picture, a type of the Father. And we spoke a little bit, and maybe we'll speak a little bit more of it today. Isaac, the son of the promise, is a picture and a type of who? He's a picture and the type of the son, father and son, Abraham the father. Isaac, the son, Jesus. He's a picture of Jesus. And you know that because two weeks ago, we went through this Mount Moriah incident where God asked Abraham to take his son and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. And you know God stopped him and it didn't go through because God provided 
himself a sacrifice, the Bible tells us. And there was a substitutionary sacrifice. And we saw that, and we saw the picture there between of the Father and the Son. It's glorious. And now you remember that, and you come, and you remember he's old, and he was blessed. And he's blessed in all things. So Abraham says to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had. Now, folks, we met his servant in Genesis chapter 15, verses 2 through 4. We met him. When Abraham was sort of saying, hey, I don't have an heir except for Eleazar, which by the way means God is my help. And so some people believe this servant continues to be Eleazar. Who knows if that's true? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But in this story, in chapter 24, which, well, listen. And if it is, God is my help. Listen to what the unnamed servant is a picture of. Here's this unnamed servant. And almost everyone in the Christian world, and for these reasons, I'll tell you, believes this now is a picture, this servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit. So here you have it, Abraham, we have the son Isaac that we're going to see, and now we see this unnamed servant. Look, if you would, with me, over uh, to John 16. Actually, let's go to John 14 first. John 14, please. Go over to John 14. This is what we're studying there. And um, in uh, men's fellowship is this portion of Scripture, John 14 through 17. But look at this in verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he'll also do, and greater works than these he'll do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. And if you love me, keep my commandments, and I'll pray the Father, listen to this now, and I'll give you another helper. What does that word mean, that phrase? That's the word parakletus. It's the coming alongside ministry of the Holy Spirit, the one that's going to come alongside and be your advocate, be the one who intercedes, the one who ministers. That's that word there, another helper that he may abide with you forever. This one is called the spirit of truth. You marking these down? We're doing a crash course right now on who the Holy Spirit is. He's an unnamed servant in Genesis chapter 2. Jesus describes him here in John, everywhere in the book of John. It's just everywhere. I'll pray the Father. He'll give you another helper. He'll abide with you forever. And he's the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you orphans. I'll come to you. Now, I have a ton of things to say about this. You could just study this this year. You start to learn now more and more through Jesus and his words about the Holy Spirit. Another helper. Remember, we believe in one God and three persons. And So that means, is the Father God? Yes. Is the Son God? Yes. Not Son God, but S-O-N. Is the Holy Spirit God? You say, yes. You go, okay, how many gods we believe in? One. One in nature and essence, but distinct in person. And here you get this. You start to get it. You see that the Spirit of truth neither sees Him nor knows Him. That starts to... Now listen, that starts to... Explain to you, you ever had this? I had it this week. I can't believe, somebody said to me, why this person just won't surrender their life to the Lord. It's so plain. I've been doing such a wonderful job of witnessing to this guy. 
And he should give his life to the Lord. And right here, the whole uh, Jesus explains to us and to well to us that this has to be a move of the Spirit, so that he can see that man and understand and have the gospel make sense. You get it? So while he does use you and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it ain't up to us in that regard. What are we to be? Faithful servants who scatter seed, the word of God, the gospel. But then you go back and you say, hey, uh, I'm praying for you because it's got to be a move of the spirit. You You see that. It says it right there. And, uh uh-oh, I got excited and lost my place. Oh, there it is. And he's the spirit of truth. He guides people into truth. I'm just searching for truth. I'm going to move to Arizona and look at crystals and look for truth. Yeah, but the Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. You're not going to find it in some crystal. You're not going to find it in some Susie Orman paradigm or Tony Robbins paradigm. Not blasting those people. I'm just saying you're not going to find truth in some paradigm, whoever it is. You're going to find truth in the person of Jesus, and it's got to be a move of the Spirit, you see. He tells us this. Whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you. The Bible tells us in other places that when you become a Christian, you surrender your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in your life. You're the temple of God now. Amen? And... That's the indwelling of the Spirit. Or, or, excuse me, He dwells with you. The second one is the indwelling of the Spirit. He'll be in you. But before, He's with you. He's the paraclete. Second, He comes in you. He's going to indwell you. And He says, Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'll come to you. He sent the Holy Spirit. He's going to come back. He tells us that in John 14, 1 through 3. He's going to come back because... What's he doing? Not only is he interceding for you, he's preparing a place for you, Jesus is. And now he's giving us the paraclete, the helper. Oh, you're like, what are you talking about? Well, go over to verse 26. But the helper, uh, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And then you go over to chapter 16. Jesus, in his final words to his followers, wanted them to know about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And what's weird about the church at large is there's a whole segment of people in the church that don't even want to really acknowledge that the Holy Spirit exists because they're afraid of abuses of the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus, final words, final words probably are important words. He gives a talk and continues to talk about the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 5 of 16. I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where you're going, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless... I tell you the truth, it's your advantage that I go away. For if I didn't go away, the helper wouldn't come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. And when he has come to you, he will... Listen, listen, this is the part I really want you to know about Genesis chapter 24. I think I said 22 earlier. But anyway, 24. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they don't believe in me. The pathway to belief, wake up here, the pathway to belief is being convicted of sin. You see that? See, there's a lot of people in the American church, they want to say the prayer on the back of a magazine so they'll get out of a situation. Oh Lord, I know you're good, so I can't stand to be in this situation, I'll pray this prayer. But here, the Bible says the pathway to belief is to understand you're a sinner, and it's the job of the Holy Spirit 
to do that. And of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And because the ruler of the world is still judge. I still have many things to say, but you can't bear them now. However, when the spirit of truth will come, he'll guide you into truth. He won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, he said that he will take care of mine and declare it to you. Do you know you just read something so important about the Holy Spirit? And I read it fast. I shouldn't have, but I wonder if you got it. The Holy Spirit's job is to testify of Christ. And that was a really long way of saying and identifying the reason why the servant is unnamed. He's not taking credit for anything. In fact, in many of Paul's salutations and greetings, what does he say? Greetings on behalf of the Father and of the Son. And you rarely hear in his greetings or salutations of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not real. Of course he is. He's a person at work, third person of the Trinity. But why? It's because it's the job of the Holy Spirit to point people to Christ. The unnamed servant. You with me? That was a long, long road to get there. You hung in. So when you go back, you're here now. You go, okay, Abraham was old, well advanced in age. This really happened for Abraham. He was actually blessed. You remember in your head, and you know you're going to get to the end of this chapter, and they're going to talk about Isaac. The son is Isaac, and this unnamed servant is a servant, may or may not have been uh, uh, Eleazar, because it's been 50 years or so since that chapter 15, but he's unnamed. When you hear unnamed, you go, Wow, because it's the Holy Spirit's job to point people to Jesus. So you get there and you say, the oldest servant in the house who ruled over all that he had. Now, this is going to be hard because I'm tempted in almost in every spot to stop and to point you to the typology. <laughs> because even in John 15 and 16, or 14 and 16 there, we read things like, I don't do anything on my own authority, Jesus said. Even though he had already, you know, said several times, I and the Father are one, one in nature and essence. But Philippians 2 tells us he came and emptied himself. He laid down his deity. No, he never did that. He never laid down his deity. He laid down his rights and privileges to his deity while he was on earth so that he said things like this. I only say those things that the Father tell me. I only do the work that the Father gives me. You know, some of us scratch our head and say, wait a minute, he's Jesus. It's because he's God, laid down his rights, and is living in perfect dependence upon the Father to show you and I what it is to live like that. Amen? And you get back here and you say, okay, so Abraham said to the oldest servant on the house, listen, who ruled over all that he had. The servant here is entrusted uh, with all these things. And he says, please put your hand under my thigh. What a weird thing. (laughs) I ain't never saying those words. I don't know about you. (laughs) And here he goes, wait a minute, please put your hand under my thigh and I'll make you swear by the Lord the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son. Here's what the father says. I want you, unnamed servant, to put your hand under your thigh. You should go and read about this. This gets more interesting as you read the commentaries about this, but I'll let that be you. Put your hand under my thigh and I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you won't take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Remember, he'd come out of the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans. He went to Haran, and then he came down to Canaan. And he didn't want his son to marry a Canaanite person. Why? Because they were totally into idolatry and inappropriate sexual practices that uh, delved into sort of their 
weird way of worshiping and all kinds of grotesque and perverted stuff. And uh, Abraham here says, I don't want my son to take a Canaanite. I want him to go back, listen, into the family. We can talk about that at another time, but just for now, he wa- I want you to go back into the family and you're going to take an oath and their oath, it happens one other time in the Old Testament. I want you to put your hand under my thigh and I want you to swear that you'll do this for me. That's what's happening here. He's taking an oath. The unknown servant is saying to the patriarch, I promise you, this is how I'll do it. But please give me the instructions, the servant says, so I do it right. So listen, you get something here that's interesting. How far is the Ur of the Chaldeans from Canaan? It's somewhere, depending on the route that you take. If you take the most direct route, which most people did not do, it's 500 miles from where he lived. Everybody with me? But it could be as far as 900 miles. So somewhere between 500 and 900 miles is how far this servant had to go uh, to get a bride. You ever with me? You guys are quiet today, or I'm boring, but it could be mostly I'm boring. But if you continue on this, I want to show you something that's so amazing. It'll, when you sing, you know how sometimes you sing and you're just not into it? That's because, you know, just sometimes you just can't conjure up whatever it is we conjure up. See, when you get... Genesis 24, you don't have to conjure up anything because you're so in love and appreciative of what God has done that you just can't wait for the music to start. It's because he, the father, is sending the unnamed servant into a faraway land to get a bride and not to go off property... Son, I want you to stay where you are. Now let's just examine that for a minute. Where is Jesus right now? He's not here. He's in a faraway land. And the Father has said at some point you might go back, but right now the, the, um, the servant is going to go there. I'm going to send a helper. And uh, you're going to be glad I sent the helper because... You can do greater works than I have. What are the greater works? It's, listen, we just read it. It's convicting people of sin and righteousness and judgment. Why? So that they'll believe. So that they'll come into the family of God. And you know this, and I know this, but the family of God in several places in the Bible is called the bride of Christ. So in a corporate sense, we're Rebecca. And also in an individual sense, we're like Rebecca. Because God has pursued us with the unnamed spirit, listen, or excuse me, servant, to bring us to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who this unnamed servant is testifying about. This is amazing. So, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. And you go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son. Isaac, now, okay, I got to take a little bit of a rabbit trail. But we got to know this. And you're going to say, I do know this. Then why don't we, as a Christian body, Do it or obey it. I don't know what it is about this, although I think I do know what it is about this. This is the one where most people get in trouble with the You ready? You're not to marry outside the family. I know, but he's, come on. I'm such a wonderful person. He'll change if he marries me. I'm such a wonderful person. She'll change if she marries me. Well, you just read it. It's not up to you to change anybody, nor can you. It's up to the Holy Spirit. 
And what happens here is a lot of people want to follow the Lord, but they want to ignore this. And this is so critical. Besides, listen, besides a life that surrenders itself to the Lord. And by the way, if you're a parent, what is it, number one, that you want to see with your kids? I just, oh, that my children would walk with you, Lord. That's one, right? Number one thing. But then one of the top ones there, I don't know where you'd put it, two, three, four, five, I don't know. The next one is if the Lord decides to put my child together with a spouse. If, in other words, if he decides that my child shall be married, I pray, we pray, that they would marry somebody who loves the Lord too. I mean, this is important, folks. You say, I know, but he's nice or she's nice. Yeah, but here's what happens is you have incompatible values. You say, well, I love people. They, he loves people. She loves Yes, but look, your values are, number one, that this kid, this person, is grows in the fear and admonition of the Lord as a parent. And your Sundays and weekends as a Christian look much different than your Sundays and week, weekends of a person who doesn't know the Lord. And your whole goals in life, your, your vacations, your, your, your missions trips, your time off, everything is laid down for the Lord. And you're going to run into significant times where you're going to disagree and it gets people in unbelievable trouble because all they did was say, this one looked good or they have a great job and they treat me well and I know what I'm supposed to do, but. But the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. Don't enter into any permanent relationship with anybody who's outside the family of Christ. Now, that's not being exclusive because, uh, or excuse me, being like discriminatory because we're going to live in the culture and love the people in the culture. But when it comes to a permanent relationship, the Lord says, don't do it. And I'm on my soapbox here because people are heartbroken. Over and over and over and over again because they decide, I want to follow the Lord. He'll forgive me. I'm going for it. And the Bible tells us, why don't you love God first and all other things will be added unto you? Don't get it backwards. Don't you take the adding or make the adding and the addition and then love God. How about put God primary? And you see, I think you see it here. Well, okay, I'll stop. But I don't want to because I don't want people who I love to see them go through all this heartbreak because they didn't listen to the Lord. And it's over and over again. Well, go to the country, to my family, and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? I mean, uh, hey, any servant would ask this. I just want to make sure I get what you're saying right. In fact, I put my hand under your thigh. I want to do it right. <laughs> And the servant said, okay, well, what if she's not willing to follow me? Can I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you don't take my son back there. No way take him back there. Remember, Isaac is the son of promise. He's to live in the promised land. Amen? And that's what this is saying. But Abraham said to him, Beware that you don't take my son back there. Live in the land of promise. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying, To your descendants I give you this land. There it is again. He just over and over gives him the promise. And, and the Lord does to Abraham. And now Abraham, it starts to flow out of him, the promises. You get it? Sometimes you have to, who here has to be told over and over again, the promises. 
But then the more you spend time and you love and you share and you have this back and forth with the Lord and you spend time in his presence, all of a sudden, here you go. Just naturally, supernaturally, the promises start coming out of you. And you're standing on them. And that's what Abraham's doing. He's telling the servant, now nah, the Lord said, I, he, I'm going to have this land, so don't do that. In fact, God will send his angel before you. And you shall take a wife for my son from there. Now listen, I'm running on about three different tracks here. I'm running on the actual story that happened. I'm running on the track of the typology of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I'm also running on the track. This shows you a lot about how to have dating and relationships God's way. And here's another place here. Trust God to reveal a spouse for you. He will send his angel and you're going to take a wife from my son from there. Come on, man. It's 500 miles away. It's 900 miles away. It wasn't like he was FaceTiming back there, checking out all the uh, potentials for his son. You, you get it. He hadn't had any contact mostly with them. If he did, it was a far message, you know, that took a long time. Everybody with me? And But he has this faith and he says, hey, the Lord will do it and you're, you're going to take a wife from the family. It's going to happen. If it's going to happen and you've been called to it, it'll happen and it'll come from the family. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, man, think about that. What do you believe in? God's sovereignty or man's choice? I think the answer is, I believe in it. <laughs> but here you see that the bride, the one that God's going to send for, now I'm on the number two track here, typology, must be willing to follow you. Does God do the saving? Of course. Does he give you a choice? Uh-huh. It's both taught in the Bible. Why we argue about this, to me... Don't get mad if I say it. You're never going to figure it out this side of heaven because the Bible teaches both. So when it teaches both, teach both. Is it divine sovereignty or man's choice? And the answer is, I think so, yes. But here the bride uh, has to be willing to go with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? So, and if the willing, woman is not willing to follow you, then listen, don't worry, don't worry, servant. Now we're back on the real history. Listen, he goes, don't worry, real servant. You'll be released from this oath that you took. If she's not willing, that's understandable. You're released. Nothing's going to happen to you. No big deal, okay? So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed 500 miles, 900 miles, folks. Let's just say 700 for the sake. Can you imagine 700 miles? The servant took 10 of the master's camels for all his master's goods were in his hands. Now, come on. If you don't see the typology there, I mean, look at it. This is, this is the glories of Christ. This is why you get up and sing on a Sunday morning. It's because all everything that the Father has are in the hand of the Holy Spirit. All his master's good. He's God, yet he's separate. You get it? And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. To the city of Nahor. Now, you could go back... I believe it's chapter 11. You want to go there with me? You could go back. And you see the descendants of Shem, Shem verse 24, Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah. And after he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119. Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Who's Nahor? 
Nahor is the brother of Abram. You get that? And this is the genealogy, keep going, of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot, but don't even look down. What happened to Haran? You know. He died. And Haran died before his father, Terah, in his na native land in the Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Everybody with me? So it says here, go back to the land or the city of Nahor. What does that mean? Well, nobody really knows a city called Nahor. So it was probably he was going back to the Ur of the Chaldeans, but he was telling his servant, which is where Nahor is. You get it? And uh, so now you know the connection between Abram and Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city. Doesn't even really talk about the 700-mile journey. Wouldn't that have been fascinating to be in that journey? The unnamed servant anticipating getting a bride. And all the camels and all the pots and pans banging and all that sort of thing. Then he said, O Lord, God of my master, verse 12, please give me success this day. What is this right here? It's a prayer. It's a prayer. By the way, this is just my little plug. There's a lot of new people here coming now. Get this book and just bless yourself. If you don't have this book, I'm telling you, we've read all the books that are famous on prayer, but there's none like this one. This takes all the pressure off. This is liberating. Uh, o. Hallisby's book on prayer. Anyway, he prays. That's what he does. Please give me success and show kindness to my master, Abraham. He was, again, interested not in his own glory. Behold, here I stand by the well of water. And uh, the daughters of the men uh, 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 of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, again, a little bit of a rabbit trail. But if you wanted to bless yourself... You know what you'd do in the Old Testament? You'd go and look at many of the patriarchs and the ladies that they married and where they met, and you're going to be shocked because often they met at a well. In Isaiah, do you know what uh, Isaiah 12.3 calls wells? They're a type of salvation. Wells of salvation, it says in Isaiah 12.3. In fact, in John chapter 7, on the great day of the feast, do you remember when the, Jesus said, if you drink of what I give you, you know, if you're drinking, listen, listen, rivers of living water will be flowing out of your life. You'll never be bored with Jesus if you're spirit-filled, man. You'll never be bored because you're going to have oceans of water pouring out of your life. In other words, he was near the well. He, he, he went to where there was life and life-giving properties. And the ladies came to this place. And oh, by the way, she was a resourceful lady because she was the first one to go. You get it? If you're, now listen, I'm on the third track now. <laughs> if you're looking for somebody to date, go to the well. Where is it that you see salvation and the life of Christ pouring out of people? Where is that? I'm not saying, you know, this so you'll come to this fellowship all the time, but, but get around where people are Holy Spirit-filled, they are saved, and they want to know about Jesus' life and have it pour out of their own so that they can feed others. And that's where you should go. Amen? And a lot of times we get frustrated and we say, well, I don't see anybody. And so we go off to like a club. And that might be fun for a minute and all that sort of thing, but there's, there's not the life of Christ there. If you study the Old Testament, many of these people met at the well. 
So that's what happens here. The daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let it be that the young women to whom I say, remember, this is a prayer. Please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink. And I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one, Lord, the unnamed servant says. You have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. You know, we were talking about instances in our life the other night at our fellowship, our home fellowship at, in Peter's Township, about how sometimes the Lord has answered prayers that either you haven't already prayed or that you're just sort of in the midst. Sometimes God waits a long time to answer your prayers, but sometimes he answers them even before you know it. Ever experienced that? And I thought, well, okay, is that just my experience? And then I found Isaiah 65. It says, before they call, the Lord says, I will answer. And while, uh, uh, can't read my writing, while they are uh, preaching, I will hear. Wow. And that's what happens here. I mean, what a prayer. Lord, just bring out a lady uh, who's going to give me a drink and give my, and he opens his eyes and all of a sudden he sees Rebecca coming down the street and he hadn't, he's in the middle of the sentence and here she comes. First one. And she's industrious. She gets up early. She's going to give, uh, she's got a pitcher up high and he's like, could this really be it? And it happened. Isn't that a great sentence? And it happened before uh, he had finished speaking that, Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, she's related, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. Now see, some of you are going to say, Come on, man. The typology really breaks down here. Because I know what I've done in my life. And it's not pretty. And I'm not pure. You say, so that's totally wrong. Unless you understand the New Testament. That says you have God's righteousness that says God looks at you through the lens of the blood of his son. That says your sins were scarlet, but they've been made white as snow, pure. That says we're the apple of God's eye. That says he loves you with a love that will never stop. And that he's patient with you and long-suffering and all of that. And you read this again and you go, wait a minute. He loved to look at me. That's what it says. That she was wonderful to look at. And she was pure. And look, she goes down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her. Is it God's sovereignty or is it man's choice? Yes. You see it all through here. And uh, said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. Well, isn't that interesting? He prays. And he doesn't just sit in the background and just watch. He goes and sort of says, well, maybe she's it. So he asks her a question. Could I have a drink? And she said, drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, well, I'll draw water for your kids also. I mean, from a human perspective, he must have fallen down. I came 700 miles or whatever it is, 500 miles, whatever it is. I thought this was going to take a while. But... Wow. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough. There was a trough and ran ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all its camels. Now, most people say that a dirty, dry, dusty camel 
is going to drink somewhere, one of them, between 20 and 40 gallons of water to rejuvenate themselves. So this took two, three, four hours. Think about that. She had places to go, people to see, families to feed, things to do. That's what I would have been thinking. But the bride stopped and served. And she was concerned for people she didn't know. Amazing. And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Now, look, I'm on the third track now. How to pick a mate. Man, what does this tell you? Don't be so concerned about the outward. We're conditioned to be so concerned about the outward. And of course, I believe that you are attracted to somebody, but wow, what's inside is what counts. And that's what this story tells you. She was concerned for other people. She worked hard for somebody she didn't know. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring. The King James says earrings. Most people believe it was a nose ring. Nobody knows why it matters. But anyway, weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists, weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So when they'd finished drinking, listen, this unnamed servant began to take gifts. 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 And give them to the bride. And I think uh, that could you could start talking in a number of ways. I mean, when you walk with the Lord, what does the Lord begin to develop in your life? Fruit. Why do you think the Bible calls it fruit? I'm convinced that the Bible says I want to give you fruit of love and joy and peace. Because what is fruit made to do or happen to it? To be eaten. So that people come around your life and they start to gather fruit from your life and take a bite and go, wow, I can live and I'm refreshed. Fruit, gifts. I think once we come into the family of God, which she's going to, the Lord does say there'll be manifestations of the Spirit. Gifts. But he says here, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she says to him, well, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Oh, my. (laughs) The servant must have staggered right here. You mean I came 500 miles... I said a prayer, here comes a girl, and it's the one that's from the family of Abraham. He answered the prayers immediately. Sometimes the Lord answers, takes years, 25 years for Abraham and Sarah. Sometimes the Lord does it immediately. Who does the decision lie with? Him, not you or me. We can get upset sometimes, right? But here he answers it perfectly uh, at the time. And the men bowed down, or the man bowed down, worshiped the Lord, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward his master. As for me, listen, very, very important. Three more points. And I got till verse somewhere in the 60s. Three more points. My master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master, as for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. How do you discern the will of God? Start walking. When you know a promise of God, begin to walk. You don't know where you're going. You don't know how you're going. You might know the general direction. But listen, stay in the way. Should I go to Harvard? Should I go to Yale? I don't know. Apply. God's not so much concerned about Harvard or Yale, but who you are when you get there. And here, he stayed in the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. This man kept a personal, dynamic, 
relationship with the way alive. And then he knew if you love the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. You know these Psalms and Proverbs. He'll direct your steps. You'll plan something out, but he'll direct your steps. You know these Proverbs and Psalms. This is what it's talking about. You just supernaturally do the next natural thing. I think God's calling me to a missions trip. Well, get your support letter ready and pray about it. Start walking. And the Lord will open the door or close the door or bring you to the right people. You see it? What should I do? Harvard or Yale? I don't know. Get your application ready. And start walking it out and just stay in the way and be true to the Lord. He'll show you the way, right? This guy uh, knew it. It's so beautiful. You don't have to know everything that God's doing, people. I'm like that, aren't you? Lord, I'm not doing this. I don't know if I'm going to do the application unless you tell me which one it is. I'm like that. Maybe you are too. And the Lord just says, step out in faith, man, and I'll show you. Now, Rebecca has this brother. Well, the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now, Rebecca has a brother. He's a schemer, man. Laban. If you don't know Laban, just remember he's a schemer. And he ran out to the man, and it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets. And when he heard the words of his sister, Rebecca, in other words, when Rebecca's going, uh, you know, uh, you know, that's, this guy's from Abraham, and Abraham's rich. The man spoke to me that he went, went to the man, and there he stood by the camels, and he said, come on in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. Then the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels, provided straw, feed for the camels, water to wash his feet, uh, the men who were with him. Food was set before him. I, but listen, the man said, I'm not going to eat until I've told you about why I'm here, my errand. You guys with me? The Holy Spirit stays on task. You want to get off in Netflix and football and music and da, 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 gifts and material things, and the Holy Spirit's like sin, righteousness, Judgment, Jesus. It's like a broken record in a good way. <laughs> well, you want all this, but let me tell you, I'm Abraham's servant, verse 34 says. The Lord has blessed my master, given him flocks, herds, silver, gold, etc. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to her master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. The glories of Christ. The son, the son of the promise. The heir is Isaac, a type of Christ. You could go in John 16 and read all about it. All that he has, I have. Jesus says, now my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites. He tells him the story. And he, verse 39, said to my master, perhaps the woman won't follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel, and you'll be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. I skipped to 41. For if they won't give her to you, then you will be released. And this day I came to the well and said, to, uh, said, O Lord God of my master, if you'll now prosper, behold, I stand by the well. In other words, what this guy's doing is he's trying to tell Laban and the house of Bethuel and everything, you're never going to, I mean, it'd be like us at a prayer meeting, at the beginning of the prayer meeting. You're never going to believe what God did. That's what he's doing. And then from verse 42 all the way down to verse 49, he recounts the story again. And I'm not going to read that to you, but it's a great lesson for us. When God answers our prayer, tell people, you, you want to be a great witness? Go to your work. And then when they say, hey, 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 you say, hey, uh, how, how was your weekend? Oh, great. Super Bowl, amazing. And then they say, well, how was yours? And you go, well, it was great. You want to hear about it? Yeah, want to hear about it. Well, God answered this prayer and bang, 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 bang. Tell them about what God can do and has done. And that's what that verse, or those verses about. Look down in 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing comes from the Lord. We can't speak to you either, bad or good. Here's Rebecca. Take her and go. And let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. 
And this is beautiful now. Think about this. Because this is a picture of the Holy Spirit leading his church. I believe in 1 Thessalonians 4 is when it begins, when he comes and takes us in the clouds. But whatever, I mean, this is the Lord leading his church back to the Father, the Holy Spirit presenting her. And it's beautiful. Watch this. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord. (gasps) So beautiful. The bride is ready. So he worshiped, and then the servant brought the jewelry, silver of gold, gave the dowry, so to speak. And he also gave precious things to brother and to mother. I I just got to say this. You ever wondered why it is that the Bible says, if you're saved and your spouse is unsaved, it sanctifies the spouse? I don't believe it means it saved the spouse. What I believe it means is that the goodness of God is going to overflow in your life. Boom! That the spouse is going to get some of the blessing. Because he's just overflowing in your life. Look here. The mother and brother get some of the stuff. And he, men who were with him ate and drank, stayed all night. They arose in the morning. And he said, send him away to my master. Watch this. But brother and mother said, well, wait a minute. Let her stay for a few days. And I got to say, that's sort of understandable and yet it's a picture of the what the world always says when a sinner a person who has uh, shared the gospel wants to go to the father it's what the world always says ah don't be a fanatic i mean stay with us for a while do the things we do boy i've lived that life and that's miserable maybe some of you have i have a barnhouse quote you guys want to put that up Uh, Donald Barnhouse says this, if the world doesn't succeed in persuading the believer to abide in the world, it'll seek to delay his or her exit. When you decide to go with the Lord, the world will applaud your devotion, but will say, hey, don't rush. Abide a few days, at least 10, and then go. Boy, is that so true. And he said to them, don't hinder me since the Lord has prospered and send me away so that I may go to my master. They said, we'll call the young woman and ask her personally. Man, this is about make you want to cry. They call the bride, Rebecca. And you know, the family is like, we got this. I know what she's going to say. That's what the family's saying. We know what Rebecca's going to say. They said to her, hey, will you go with this man? And she says, I will go. She's given up her whole life. Listen, to be with a man that she's never met. That's what you've done. You've given up your whole life for a man that you've never met. But you are going to meet. You're going to be present faultless by him. You understand how glorious Jesus is? How glorious it is with the Father in heaven of streets of gold and no crying and worshiping him night and day and uh, having uh, no pain and no concern other than to glorify him because he loves you so that you would say, listen, you would say, I will go. She said, I'll go. What a lady. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you come, the mother of thousands, of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. In other words, we pray that you have victory. Then Rebekah and her maid rode on the camels, followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. They don't even talk about this journey back, by the way. But, oh, what a journey that must have been. Now Isaac came from the way of Bear. Lahoy Roy, for he dwelled in the south, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field. Isaac was a man of prayer and meditation. You say, well, man, nobody could attract a Rebecca. Well, it ain't going to be through Ferraris and trips to Hawaii and a great, uh, great job, although those things could be okay. It's going to be by your who you are inside. Here it is, inside, inside. 
in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then she lifted up her eyes, and she got off the camel from her camel, for she had or dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It's my master. So she took a veil, respect, submission, purity, grace, love towards the groom. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. Is this tender or what? And he took Rebekah and she became his wife. Watch. And he loved her. Wow. Isaac, the son of promise, a picture of Jesus, loves his bride, adores her, wants to spend time with her, share with her. And you think of that on a one-on-one level, and that's great and wonderful, and it is. And praise the Lord. Can you believe that the Lord wanted you and I to get all of these truths through the picture, like the CLE, of a marriage, of all things. He loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Well, when you look at this, you think, wow, (laughs) how tender and how beautiful the Lord is towards us, his bride. And you know what? May that steady you and give you a heart to now go back out into the world and share with others who don't know Christ, who need to be brought to the Son and to be loved because they're looking for love everywhere that it's inappropriate. And we've been there. And I started and told you, why is it that we would stand up and get excited to sing to the Father because of the access of the Son by the Spirit? Here it is. He loves us that much. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we come here this morning thankful (laughs) to know you. Thankful that you brought us here. Thankful that we have been (laughs) found in you and you're in us. Thankful for your love and care and concern for us. We just ask, Lord, that you would do a mighty work. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you in a real and saving way, that they would give their lives to you so that they would move along the way and possess all that you have. And Lord, uh, if there's anyone here who's unsettled or anxious or doesn't know if they're loved, may this uh, portion of Scripture by your Spirit do a mighty work in uh, their hearts and our hearts too. And we lift up this time and we say, thank you, Lord, for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray.